Matthew 21, 18 through 22. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. It will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Thank you, sir. God, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you teach us by it this morning. Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus curses a fig tree. This is the only miracle that Jesus does that we have recorded that's destructive, and it's a little alarming. Would Jesus do something like that? Um, verse 18, in the morning he was returning to the city. He became hungry. So remember, they're, they're staying out in Bethany. This is actually of, of the Passion Week. If you remember, Matthew doesn't try to get things all in order chronologically of Passion Week. He's just putting things together um, for us to, to see how they relate more thematically. But so this is Monday morning, coming back from Bethany. We can get that from the other Gospels. He's hungry, sees a fig tree. Verse 19, sees a, seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, found nothing on it but only leaves. And what Mark points out is it's actually not the season for there to be fruit on it. There's, there's still some time. This is normal that a fig tree would look like it should have fruit but doesn't. Um, and he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. So any time there's something in, in what Jesus says or does or anything like that in the Bible that's just striking, it's like, whoa, that's different. Um, or even if you study the culture there and, and Jesus does something that's outside of culture norms or anything like that, it's something to pay attention to. What? Why did he do that? There's something there intentional that Jesus is doing. Um, and what Jesus is doing here is he's giving them a parable that he's acting out. It's an acted out parable. It's very effective to teach that way, to, to do something. And as his disciples are being taught by him to act out this parable with the fig tree. And of course, the disciples are going, whoa. Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered at once. Um, verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, Right? That's, that's uh, alarming. I don't know. It's like, the, how did you do it? 
Jesus, oh, you, not only will you do things like this, if you have faith, right? That's the condition, and don't doubt. But even if you say to this mountain, I, I, maybe he's pointing to the Mount of Olives there. It's the Mount of Olives as they're coming back. Even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will see, re, you will receive if what? If you have faith. And so there's, there's two things going on here. Jesus gives a parable, and he's teaching his disciples. I don't think at this point they understand the parable. They will later. Um, he's giving a parable, teaching them by acting out a parable. And then as they're alarmed and amazed at, at how this fig tree just withered at once, he's using that to teach his disciples something about faith and something that they are going to follow what they're seeing him do his example jesus disciples of jesus will not only do that but much more in fact move mountains so there's two things for us to look in here and, and to learn from both the parable and this teaching on faith. Well, first, what is this parable about? Um, it's right connected, or it comes right after um, Jesus cleansing the temple in Matthew. Uh, it's actually in, during the same day. At what happens with them after, the, after encountering the fig tree is Jesus goes in the temple and kicks out all of the, the people, the money changers and those selling in the temple. Um, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, actually connects it very strongly to what happens in the temple. Uh, if you look in Mark's account, what you see is Jesus cursing the fig tree, then the temple uh, event, and then back to the fig tree, they're marveling that it is now withered and the teaching on faith. So the temple uh, event happens right in the middle of the story. And for us, that's a normal way to write something. Uh, if you watch a movie or you read a modern novel, switching between storylines is a normal way to do things. That's not the normal way they would have written back then. Mark, if he was writing in a, just a normal way, would have given the whole account of everything that happened with regard to the fig tree and give the whole account of what happened in the temple. But there was... A, a literary device or a way of writing if you wanted to emphasize the connection of two things and what was important to focus on was to kind of make the sandwich. You have something start and you interrupt it with something in the middle and you come back to it later like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The best part is where? Right in the middle, right? The peanut butter and jelly. So in this case, in Mark's account of this, the peanut butter and jelly is the cleansing of the temple. Jesus going in and, and kicking out everyone that was the se buying and se or selling in his temple and then healing people within there, right? So this parable is very connected to what's going on in the temple. And what is it? Well, Jesus is hungry. He's looking for something. He goes to a plant. The plant really is Israel is often associated with 
uh, a fig tree in the Old Testament, but in this case, very much the temple, the, the place of worship, the heart of Israel looks on the outside like it's thriving, right? It looks like it's doing well, full of leaves. But there's a problem in its heart. But, but, but at that time, if you look at it, I've got a model of the temple. I want to put that up there. Uh, I love this model. It's, and I'm, I think for those who have been to Jerusalem, I think you've probably gone and visited this model. Uh, I want to go see it someday in person. It, it looks really cool. Um, but the temple at that time, Herod had um, upgraded the whole grounds around the temple, right? He, he employed about 10,000 men in investing in the temple. And, and the size of the temple, it covered about 40 acres. It was about five, approximately five football fields long, 1,000 feet wide. This thing's massive. Many in that time would have considered it the eighth wonder of the world. People have described it that way. And, and people would marvel at it. Um, within Jerusalem, uh, by some estimates, there's, there would have been approximately 80,000 people there. That would, during this time of Passover, would have been doubled, more than doubled of the number of people present. So this is a thriving place, right? People are coming to worship. It's beautiful. Look at how well things are going at the temple. It's like a fig tree full of green leaves and promising. But what does God want from it? What is God hungry for? Right? That's what this parable is. Jesus, he probably really was hungry. Um, and, and obviously he knew this wasn't the season for the figs to actually produce, but he's using this as an object lesson, an acted out lesson. It wasn't producing the righteousness that God is looking for. It wasn't producing the fruit that God wanted out of it. What looks good to us, church, isn't what matters. It what, it's what God wants that matters. I love, uh, I love everything that happened last night with the, with the trunk and treat. Um, I think God really had his hand on a lot of just some of the interactions that were happening there, uh, some of the conversations he allowed me to have with some of the families there. Um, it was less people than last year, right? And there was still a lot of people. I'm trying to estimate maybe 200 people total, you know, trying to figure out you know, how many cards were taken and different things. But that's still a lot of people. But that's how we judge the effectiveness of an event, right? Well, how many people showed up? That really isn't what matters, right? Is this church big and... and it has all of the things that the world would say, wow, that's a successful church. No, the temple was exactly, on, on every account, what the world would say is a successful religious center, right? Is it producing the fruit that God desires? That's what matters. Or is God finding it lacking? Well, what Jesus was, was demonstrating through this parable was actually a prophecy. God's judgment 
on that temple in 40 years from this time, one generation, in 70 AD, well documented in history, no question about that, Romans destroyed the temple. Not one stone left standing on that temple mount. And we say, oh, that was, that was the Romans. Well, yeah, it was the Romans, but Jesus just made it clear here that was God's judgment. Jesus proclaimed a judgment on this fig tree, and it withered at once. In one generation, that temple would no longer be standing. We need to take seriously what God wants. So then the disciples, probably not yet understanding, I, I wonder if the event in the temple started to connect with them. They had just seen this fig tree, you know, Jesus curses this fig tree, and then they see what's going on with Jesus in the temple, and hmm, I wonder if there's a connection here. Jesus is demonstrating through his life. Um, eventually they did get it. Um, but right there at that time, they're going, how'd you do it, right? You got the, the, the disciples and the teacher. Whoa, that was cool. How'd you do that? And Jesus has done so many greater things. Like, you're surprised that you killed a plant. Um, he's made the lame walk, the blind see, uh, brought people back to life. You killed a plant. Whoa, how'd you do that? But that's, that's how we are, I guess, too. We don't appreciate the things that are most important that God does. But how did, how did the fig tree wither at once, they asked. So Jesus is not only demonstrating this prophecy, demonstrating this parable, but he's also demonstrating a life that they're going to follow, a life of faith. And he connects the two. Not only are you going to do things like this to a fig tree. I don't see any account of a disciple ever killing a fig tree, but that's not, it's, it's the, the idea of you're going to do things like this, that like what I am doing here. You're going to do that, but even much more if what? If you have faith. What does he mean? Because to say mountain, go into the sea, I think that's also figurative. I haven't heard any accounts of actual mountains being told by a, a believer to go into a sea, but there are mountains in our life, absolutely. And there's mountains of just impossible things, sometimes shocking for people to, to witness them happen, sometimes just things that we don't understand. But he's saying, if you have faith, and he's connecting it to this thing that had the fig tree, that happened with the fig tree. Verse 20, the disciples saw it. They marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. If you have faith, if you have the same kind of faith that you see demonstrated in me, right? How did you do it? If I had a teacher and he showed me a magic trick or did something crazy, well, how'd you do it? Well, what I'm looking for is to replicate what he's doing, right? I'm, I'm replicating his example. 
How did you do? And Jesus saying, here's how. Believe and don't doubt. That's Jesus' life. That, that, that is perfect faith demonstrated in the Son of God, trusting the Father. And so I want to look at three things of what, what is faith demonstrated in Jesus' life, demonstrated here or just demonstrated in Jesus' life that we need to pay attention to if we're going to have faith that Jesus is talking about because faith that we come up with on our own, does it move mountains? And the world has a lot to say about, well, just believe. Just believe in what? Have faith in what? Yourself. That's, that's the number one answer is believe in yourself. Believe in yourself, you can do it. It sounds good. It feels good. Sometimes it's actually practically effective, but does it move mountains? Like Jesus is describing. Does it do crazy things like wither a fig tree at once to demonstrate something? So here's the first thing that Jesus um, is presently doing at this moment. He's trusting the Father's plan. So trusting God's plan is the first thing. We've seen this all the way in, in heading towards Jerusalem. Jesus is following and trusting what the Father is doing. And even here, in the simplest of things, Jesus is hungry. There's a fig tree. And, and we might think we're going through our day. The most trivial things are there. You realize God can have a plan with the most trivial things. Here, Jesus. Jesus following perfectly what the Father wants him to do, what the Father wants him to say. You're hungry? There's a fig tree? Perfect time for an object lesson. Jesus knows there's no figs on that tree, right? But there's something the Father wants him to teach. Teach us. Something to proclaim prophetically through his example. All of those things. It, it's, it's the Father's plan being worked out through Jesus. Even, even before this, the day before, is, you know, you're going to go into the town. There's going to be a donkey, and you're going to go, and you're just going to ask the person. Every step of the way, whether it's, whether it's huge or small, whether it's at a cosmic level, God's plan of what's going to be shown in the stars, that's God's plan. Or if it's what's going to happen in the midst of your day, God has a plan. And He has a plan for you. Do you believe it? Do you doubt it? Are you trusting His plan for your life? At the whole life level? At daily and hourly level? He has a plan. How do I know what, what is the evidence in my life? I'm, if I say, and, and I, I do trust his plan in my life, but I want to be very real with myself on this. What does fake faith produce? Not moving mountains, I, <laughs> right? It's ineffective. What's the direction my life is taking? That's the evidence. Where am I headed? Because his plan is a direction. 
That's what a plan is. It's a path. It's a direction. Do I trust Him without doubt that His plan is the best plan? It's better than my plans. If I was given a whole sum of money to invest, and I was certain, and I was, I had zero doubt that a particular investment, a company or something, right, was going to have the best possible returns. I was going to double my money immediately if I was to invest in this thing. If I had no doubt, that was it. What would I do with my money? I, I would invest it in that. And if I didn't, people would say, well, I don't think you really believe that there'd be good returns on that. Right? My actions, the direction I take with what I have, God has given you a life to invest. He's given you that. And he has told us the best place to invest it that will have great returns. And that's his plan. Too many times, church, I get caught up in my own plans. What is that showing? I'm not trusting that his is better. Where does that start? It starts in my quiet time alone when no one's around. What am I doing? Am I doing what He wants me to do? That's His plan. That's direction in my life. What you do when no one else sees, when, when no one's... At, what, what are the thoughts that you allow to just go in your head? What, what, what are the actions you're taking? Those are all actions in the private of your own heart and mind. Are you trusting God there? Because if you're not trusting God there, then there's a little bit of a false pretense as you move out, right? That's the reality in my heart. I've got, I've got to come to terms with who I am before God without anybody else around. Am I trusting His plan? And then in my family, interaction with my wife and my kids, I get up in the morning. What, what do I do with my time? What, what do I do with, with my interactions with others? And, and as that moves out into the workplace and, and, and going to work, dude, what, does God have a, a plan? Does, it, does He have an agenda, actually, for how you work through your day? And, and what I have found to be the truth is that yes, if I'm willing to ask and seek, and, so, and sometimes that's what, what, where we need to start is, well, I don't know what his plan is, but am I looking for it? I can tell you the first step of his plan for you is to seek him, right? To try to figure out, if I, if I don't open this at all, if I'm not opening it at all, then I'm not seeking his voice in my life. Maybe I don't know how to read this? Well, start pursuing that. What's in this book, right? That's the beginning of a pathway. And when you do start to find yourself trusting His way, I remember the difference when... Um, 
We step into a plan, into a course where we can say to a mountain, be moved. And it's not moved because we're great. It's moved because this is the time God wants to move that mountain. And he's telling you, his servant, speak to the mountain, tell it to move. And nothing will stand in the way of God's plan. It's not a plan of personal ambition. Not at all. But we can look at all the different things. Like, okay, God, let me make a deal with you. Here's, here's the, how the plan's going to go for my life that you're going to make. He's the one making the plans. I've got to just trust his way is best. And, and he's actually designed me for a purpose, for a plan. You know, he knew you before the world was ever even created. That, that's the God we serve. He knew you. He's got a plan for you. We struggle to have value in our life. You have value because God loves you and he has a plan for your life. Are you willing to trust it? And if you are, he is going to provide the way forward. And that gets into the next point. Not only do we trust his plan, but we trust God's hand. His plan is good. I trust that. I don't doubt that. How are we going to move forward? It's going to be trusting his provision, trusting his power. Not only does he have the plan, but he provides the power and resources to accomplish it. As we look, we've got land over here, six acres, given to us by God. We didn't pay one penny for that land. Praise the Lord for that. Well, what are we going to do moving forward? Are we going to make something great out of that land? No, God is going to do something. And if He doesn't want to build right now, let's not build right now. If He wants to build tomorrow, He will move a mountain to provide every resource needed to, to build tomorrow. Our question is not, how are we going to do it? It's, God, what do you want to do? What is your will? What is your plan? And we're going to trust that if we just say, we're going to submit to you, God, as a church. Then in the moment he wants us to move a mountain, we're not moving it. We're just saying, mountain, move. And then God goes, boom. What a joy. What an incredible experience to be a part of what God is doing. You know, Jesus... We see all these amazing miracles and powerful things happening through Jesus. We learn in Philippians chapter 2, he didn't count equality with God. He didn't count the fact that he is God as something to be grasped, but lowered himself to be like us, a servant in the flesh. What did he do in that? He intentionally set aside his ability to heal, his ability to to raise the dead and became completely dependent on the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. The Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. Jesus is demonstrating what we can and should do. Trust the Father. The, the fig tree didn't wither because Je Jesus could have withered the, the fig tree. But he didn't do it. He's demonstrating to us what we should do. The Holy Spirit is the one doing it. And Jesus had, for that time, 
set aside his power and in perfect trust in the Father. Perfect faith demonstrating what we can do. And he says, not only will you do this, but much greater things if you have faith and do not doubt. You know, sometimes God's plan is that we sit in the shadow of the mountain. And the mountain doesn't move. Sometimes God's plan is that we wait on Him. It's still the best plan. And there's those times that are dark. We're in the shadow. Times where things are impossible and they're only getting worse. I still need to just ask God. Show me what you want me to do. And if it's to sit right here in the shadow of a mountain, maybe that's a work situation, a relationship situation, a physical illness, so many different things that, that are mountains in our life. Do you know in a moment God can take that? But the fact that he doesn't means that he's got a good, purpose, a really good purpose, and his plan is good. You might think, I, I'm useless now. And I'm just trying to make every day being a mom, just keep my head above water, right? God has a plan for you right there. And every moment, every day, as you wake up, as you, as, as you go through your day, you have God guiding you. And it might be for a long season. For some people, for a lifetime. Of, of, uh, God just doesn't remove whatever that thing is. He's like, it would be so much better, God, if this part could just be removed. But we can trust Him with His plan. But notice, not only does he say, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can speak to the mountain. You throw it in the sea. Following his plan when it is his time to throw that mountain in the sea. But he also says in verse 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you receive if you have faith. He's right there to hear you. You're not by yourself trusting his plan, speaking to mountains. He is present with you right there. And this is the, this is the last thing for us to trust, is trusting God's presence. Not only does he have a plan that's perfect, not only does he provide the power and the way through mountains by his hand, but he is with us. That is his promise. He will not leave us. We're not alone no matter how dark, no matter how much time we spend before a mountain, no, no matter what we're going through, the darkest of valleys. And it's sometimes in the darkest times we feel his presence the most. That promise becomes the most real and understood. And sometimes that's part of his purpose 
for us to sit before a mountain. Because in sitting before the mountain, then we learn to trust Him. We learn who He is. We learn how to talk to Him. Are you praying? What's your prayer life like? How do I know if I'm trusting His presence? Do my actions show that I'm trusting God is with me every moment of the day? Look with me at Philippians chapter 4. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. No matter how dark, no matter how difficult the course is right now, rejoice in the Lord Always, again, I will say rejoice. You know, we need that repetition. Yeah, okay, let me get that. <laughs> rejoice, again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. If you have this in your Bible, underline that. The Lord is at hand. That is the truth. That is His promise. When we finally make it to the end of Matthew, if that's before the Lord comes... What is the end with a promise? And I will be with you. To the end of the age, God is present all the time. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. How can I be without anxiety about things? Because I know Jesus is present. God, I am sure worried about what tomorrow is going to bring. But I know I don't have to because you're with me, right? Do you believe it? Do you not doubt it that Jesus is present? Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, in the highest of highs, in the lowest of lows, in the darkest of valleys, in the brightest of mountain peaks, in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When I'm trusting His plan, when I'm trusting His power to act, when I'm putting myself in the same place that Jesus was right there, and we see that faith in Jesus, even as He's praying to the Father, if, if there's any way that this cup, this suffering can be removed from me. He's petitioning God. He's asking God, just like he tells us, it, to ask God. But how does he ask it? But nevertheless, your will. And he's genuinely wanting his desire and his ask right there is that more than the suffering be removed, his desire is that God's will be done because he knows and he believes without doubting that the best possible course and the best possible thing for him is to do the will of the Father. And that's how we ask. And when we ask that way, it's powerful. Why? Because God will do 
what we ask? Is my heart to desire the will of God first? And then, and then from that posture, the same posture as Jesus, then pray for my community, then pray for, for my family, then pray for my kids and pray for my marriage and pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. As we pray for those things, it is, is it in a posture of God, the best possible thing I believe and I don't doubt is that your will be done. I want that with all my heart. When we can get there, then we are in the same place that Jesus was. And mountains will be moved. Mountains will be moved in our community. They'll be moved in our church. They'll be moved in our our marriages and in our family with our kids. If you have faith and don't doubt. If only I could have that faith every moment. To trust Him. He's trustworthy. He's the only trustworthy thing in my life, right? Not saying anything bad about y'all, but y'all are sinners. (laughs) Me too. How many times I failed to trust Him completely. He's good. He loves you. There's no one that loves you like he does. His plan is perfect. There's no plan that you have that, is, that compares to his plans. And if you can realize that and don't doubt it, then you can pray like he prays. Say, God, this, I really, like, like Paul prayed, this thorn in the flesh you've given me, I prayed three times to God to remove it. But what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My plan is best for you. And Paul believed it. And he saw God's good working through it. He's like, oh, God is protecting me from becoming conceited for the amazing things that I've seen. He saw good in it. He saw that there was life in it. He saw that through it, he, he was effective in ministry and effective for the purpose of God in glorifying the Father's name, glorifying Jesus' name. It was effective because he was trusting God's plan. Let's trust what God has for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example, not just your teaching, but your example. You showed us what to do. You didn't ask your disciples to do anything that you wouldn't do yourself. God, even if the plan moving forward involves suffering, involves hardship, involves things that are more than what we can handle on our own, your promise is that you're with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. And we know that you have experienced all of those things already ahead of us. You know the pain. You know the weakness. And your grace is sufficient for us. Your power working through us is effective. Help us, God, to just put our full trust and faith in you, Lord Jesus. We love you. There's nothing better than you. Nothing this world has to offer that's better than you. God, with all my heart, I pray that this church would grow and grow 
in true faith. God, that what, that's what's ahead isn't going to be to glorify the name Hope Church, but will bring effectively glory to your name in this community. The people will come to know you. The lives will be changed within this body that you would transform us into your character and to, to have faith like, like what you have for us, God, and, and just among us that you would call people to different vocations, to different courses in life and that we would trust you in that. Even some of us, God, to call us to missions, to call us into ministry. That's your plans, God, is, is to take each person and you have a plan that's good and effective and glorifies your name and brings about change, furthers your kingdom. We want to see that happen through this body. And God, we just need to trust you. That's it. Help us to do that. Be glorified in us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself carried the cross his love so amazing his love so amazing Jesus Messiah, 
the Lord of all. All our hope is in you. All our hope is in you. All the glory to you, God. The light of the world, all our hope is in you. All our hope is in you. All the glory to you, God. He's the light of the world. Jesus Messiah. The name above all. as much as he can be. He has authority over everything in your life. You can trust him completely without doubting. Let's do that. I love you, church. Go in the Lord. <laughs> 